Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amafidon. Thanks for tuning in. This week on BNN News, we begin with the inaugural Ukrainian festival last Saturday, which spread hope and pride during a challenging time. Love of country and tradition flowed freely at the first Ukrainian festival and Independence Day celebration at the Boston University campus. From 2 to 8 p.m. Saturday, over 3,000 attendees stood proudly with Ukraine as they enjoyed the day of music, dance, art, and food. Families spent time with loved ones in play and joyfully raising the Ukrainian flag. However, sunflowers and the colorful atmosphere could not hide the troubling situation of the war at home. It's bittersweet that we're having this festival today. Of course, we're all very happy to be here. We want to show the world who we are, what a beautiful culture we have, our beautiful language, the language which is musical and melodious, our gorgeous songs, our dances, our fashion, our delicious food. And at the same time, we are not forgetting for one second what is actually going on in Ukraine right now. This is so important that we all come here together today, united. The whole Ukrainian community is united. The whole world is united in support of Ukraine, in support of democracy. So what this festival means to all freedom-loving people around the world, um, you know, and especially right here in America, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave, and Ukraine is absolutely that too. So when people see the Ukrainian flag, they should know that uh, American ideals, Polish ideals, anyway, Canadian ideals, all of, all of the freedom-loving people of this world, anyone who loves it, this is, this is what the Ukrainian flag stands for, that freedom. Meanwhile, at the Boston Children's Museum, Boston Public Schools is welcoming this year's incoming class of kindergarten students with open arms. First-time kindergartners and their families retreated at the 24th annual Countdown to Kindergarten on Tuesday. The event, hosted by Boston Public Schools, takes place before the first day of kindergarten, which is Monday, September 12th. 2,500 new students attended, receiving new backpacks with school supplies provided by cradles to crayons. Excitement was in the air as students enjoyed snacks, a DJ tent, and children's museum exhibits. My first daughter, she just left for kindergarten yesterday, and it was um, definitely a weird feeling because she's been home with us. We've never done daycare. We've never done anything like that. And all of a sudden, just dropping her off and just kind of putting her in other people's hands, it's definitely a bit crazy, very emotional, um, and a big tearjerker. But it's definitely the best thing because she needs this socialization and she needs to have other people teaching her other than us. It's so sad. They're growing up so fast and I feel like you just, you know less about their day and what happens to them. And it's exciting, but it's, it's also sad because they're becoming little people. We put a lot of effort into training our teachers and our powers and um, even working with our community-based providers so that all of our young children are coming into kindergarten, whether at age four or at age five, with a very strong developmental curriculum. 
From kindergarten to college, the kids are grown up and all right. Boston University is changing lives one scholarship at a time for Boston Public School seniors. On Thursday, hard work and academic achievement paid off for the 106 Boston Public School graduates honored at BU's Questrom School of Business Auditorium. Incoming BU freshmen and transfer students will receive $25 million in scholarships over the next four years. A five-person committee of BU and BPS representatives selected scholars for the Thomas M. Menino Scholarship and Boston University Community Service Award programs. Since 1973, the university has awarded almost $200 million in scholarships, making higher education a reality for over 2,000 students. You know, it feels surreal. I really think back to, you know, the first time I saw it, and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I was just freaking out. I was like, Mom, 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 I got, I got a scholarship. And then, you know, and then going into it, I was so worried about paying so much money for college. So knowing that I don't have to pay any tuition, it's just, it's been a blessing. It's really been a blessing. My mom, she she's used um, taking out loans from previously for my sister. So I just think I'm just thankful for her to keep pushing me, telling me that you have potential, so that I can continue to put my best foot forward. And I'm making her proud, and making all my moms proud because I have three moms. So I'm making them all proud, and I'm just taking a load off their back. I think I'm going to appreciate having someone being able to like kind of like watch over because there's a lot that like changes going into college and I think like mostly I'm excited but that excited is definitely mixed in with a lot of like fear and kind of concern about like all of these kind of hectic new things and just having someone who like knows what they're doing being able to kind of like arm on the shoulder, give a little guidance and like ground me is something that I'm really going to appreciate. Why is it so important for these types of scholarship programs to exist? Yeah, I mean, I can speak from personal experience. I'm a graduate of the Boston Public Schools. I went to Boston Latin Academy. I came to BU through the Menino Scholarship. And as many of the students have, have told you this evening, it's life-changing to not have to worry, for, for the student and their family, not to have to worry about the cost of tuition uh, while they're at BU. But for the university, uh, it really enriches Boston University. We, we have students from across the globe, and for them to meet students who grew up in Boston, it deepens their, the other students' experience while they're at Boston University. They, they serve as ambassadors to the city uh, and, and, and really just change BU for the better. Uh, and so it's win-win, right? So the students get uh, a great education uh, at affordable uh, option because of the scholarships, but BU benefits deeply by having so many Boston Public High School students at BU. We're consistently been in the top 10 receiving institutions of higher education in the Boston area for Boston Public School students, and it's a point that the, the university is quite proud of. Congrats to all the BU scholarship recipients. In more college-adjacent news, move-in season is upon us. See how the influx of new and returning university students is affecting the city. It's the most U-Haul-filled time of the year. The start of September when college students move into dorms and off-campus housing for the fall semester. Local colleges such as Boston University and Northeastern have instituted temporary parking restrictions in a number of neighborhood streets from Sunday, August 28th through Monday, September 5th. Residents of Boston should prepare themselves not only for fewer spaces to park, but also sidewalks a bit more congested than usual. Oh, it's crazy, crazy on Mission Hill around this time. All the trucks everywhere. There's not much clearance, so, you know, people are getting their mirrors dinged up and everything. But 
you know, just try to drive slow and stay safe. It's definitely crazy on the hill this time of year, though. Everybody on the street pretty much has to move out on August 31st in the morning, preferably by noon. We're here a little late, um, but you have to move out. We have no place to stay, so we've had to rent a hotel for the night. And then we can't move into our next place until September 1st, the day that the entirety of Boston has decided every single person pretty much under the age of 25 has to move on the same day for their lease agreements. Every single one seems to end on the same day or, and start on the same day, so it's just incredibly inconvenient for everybody. The worst thing about moving in was the apartment that we rented was not in the same condition as it was when it, we toured it. A lot of things were broken, it's very messy, um, there's a lot of paint missing from the walls, um, and a lot of you know fixtures aren't working properly. Um, and it was also very difficult to move in due to the massive amounts of garbage all over the street. Um, you know, the, the um, garbage crews are working day and night to get it cleaned up, but every day if you walk around, there's, there's garbage just lining the streets, and it's pretty disappointing. We turn next to City Hall for its annual Americans with Disabilities Act Day celebration. What a difference an ADA makes. On Wednesday, the City of Boston, together with the Mayor's Commission for Persons with Disabilities, celebrated the landmark legislation of the American Disabilities Act. Passed on July 26, 1990, the civil rights law prohibits discrimination based on physical or mental disability while requiring employers to provide reasonable accommodations to employees with disabilities. The law also imposes accessibility requirements for public accommodations. For those in attendance, including precious service dogs, the event spoke to the dignity and visibility all Americans with disabilities deserve. So the Americans with Disabilities Act, by ensuring or by outlawing discrimination against people with disabilities, it makes sure that all Americans uh, are going to be protected throughout their lives. The disability community is one that anybody can join tomorrow, and so it's absolutely critical that we have these protections in place to make sure that throughout our lives we're protected and supported by our government. It's so important that we all have the ability to access what it is we want from our lives, right? Our dreams for, for work, uh, for a place to live, for a place to get an education, you know, even just to, to go to a restaurant or to go to Fenway Park for a Red Sox games. And, you know, whether you have a disability or not, you should have the ability to, to live the life that you want. Without the ADA, we would not have uh, the same freedoms as people with disabilities as, as our non-disabled peers have. Because of the ADA, I've been able to access accessible housing, access public free education. I went to uh, UMass. Uh, I have personal care attendance services because of the ADA. Uh, the ADA just allows me to have the freedom to do, do what any other uh, non my non-disabled peers do. Not On My Watch Mentoring Inc. founder Devon McNeil says he turned his life around after receiving a hug from peace activist Azora Mendez. Last Saturday, he honored her with a bicycle ride out calling for an end to gun violence. Biking for Peace. From Roxbury to Dorchester, youth members of McNeil's summer program Righteous Riders rode their bicycles to the home of acclaimed peace activist Azora Mendez. More than 20 years ago, Mrs. Mendez lost her own two sons to street violence. Since then, she has devoted her life to promoting peace and nonviolence. With this proper rhythm, you're going to be a powerful young man. Yes, in the peace. 
Mendez inspired McNeil to create his organization, Not On My Watch Mentoring, after presenting at the correctional facility where McNeil was serving out his sentence. Saturday's riders received hugs from Mrs. Mendez, the same hug that inspired McNeil to change. Getting sucked into gangs is a lot easier than it is for a kid to do something that's going to help them. And from personal experience, I know a few people that got sucked in and couldn't get out and are either he, like locked up or not here with us anymore. If there's not love at home and they're not receiving that love, any gang can easily lure them in through manipulation, through these fake morals and loyalty, things that they're kind of seeking from their family and they're not getting it at home. That puts them more at risk. It puts them more vulnerable. And having a mentor that is literally loving and, 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 and caring and that literally does this from the heart would make an absolute difference. And it has. It's made a difference in my life and in many others that I know. The kids out here in the inner city that I mentor, they are filled with a void. They don't know who they are. They never learned that they are individuals. They don't know the knowledge of themselves. They're lost right now. What identity do they have? They never was given one. Therefore, we have to step in and give these kids an identity. Let them know they're great. They, not have to, they don't have to be in gangs. They don't got to sell drugs. They don't got to carry guns. Let's be the force that they need. I believe our children need more attention. They are traumatized by violence, the things that has happened in the community. But we need to continue to stand and, and be there for them in school, in a, in a community, bring them together and, and talking about peace and talking about forgiveness, the things that is going to help them move on with their life. The mission of Not On My Watch Mentoring Inc. is to impact the decision-making of today's youth in a positive and realistic way. Devon aims to make young people deliberately aware of the tremendous negative effects of violence, drug dealing, drug abuse, gun violence, drunk driving, and antisocial behavior. Through programs such as the 10-week program of positive and constructive problem-solving, Righteous Writers, and The Street Slide, a youth support group promoting self-awareness and self-improvement, Devon is saving lives. Azora Mendez founded Bobby Mendez Peace Legacy to heal trauma in her community and support survivors of street violence. Since losing her sons, Azora has launched several programs, including the Parents and Children's Walk for Peace, Seven Principles of Life Awards, and Christmas with Bobby. I sat down for a joint interview with these passionate leaders to discuss the power of forgiveness and their friendship. Devon, you've been, you've been writing not only for yourself, you've also been collecting the writings of other um, men who've been imprisoned in the street slide and we believed. And there was a quote in there from um, an individual who went by the initials MT that really struck me about the two of you. He said, the meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there are any reactions, both are transformed. And it really sounded like the meeting of the two of you, the paths of yours coming together was a major moment of transformation, um, especially for you, Devon. Um, can you talk about that encounter with Izora and what this piece mean for you now? The encounter with Ms. Zora was divine. What do I mean by that? 
week before the mother of forgiveness came into prison and spoke to us, I met an individual by the name of Allah Fuquan. I was going through some things in my life where I wanted to change. I didn't know how to change. He told me he had a set of keys that he could give me, but only I could utilize them to open my mind and change my life. He invited me to the event coming up a week in advance. He said, you have to come and hear this mother. And I guarantee you, if you're at the place with change right now, you'll definitely change or be extra motivated once hearing her. Ms. Mendez walked into Old Colony Correctional Center and into the gymnasium. I'm very observant. I watched this woman who I automatically knew was Cavertian descent. I grew up in Brockton around wonderful Cavertian people. When she commanded us to stand up, if you are responsible for taking us someone's life, you don't have to, but if you've taken responsibility, stand up. Mm. About 50 men stood up that day, and I was one of those men. But it didn't stop there. She called each and every man forward, hugged us, a deep hug, a hug that a grandmother and a mother gives you. I remember the hug that I used to get from my mother and grandmother. It was lost for a long time until I met Miss Mendes that day. When I felt that hug, she told me I was forgiven. You were not the one who took my son's life, but I forgive you. On that day, my life has been forever changed. But I told Ms. Mendez, they gave us about 15 minutes to a half an hour to meet and greet after the event was over. I walked up to Ms. Mendez and I said, thank you. I said, thank you. You don't understand what you've done for my life today. But I promise you, when I get out of prison, I don't know when that is, but when I get out, I'm coming to find you. And her words to me were, son, if you're sincere, I'll be waiting for you. 14 years later, wow. I was able to sit down with Miss Mendez in Panera Bread at South Bay Plaza. And when I walked in and she stood up to hug me, it was the same hug that my mother and grandmother gave me. It was the same hug she gave me 14 years ago in that state prison. And Azora, you carry the name a mother of forgiveness and you yourself have seen tragedy. Your first son, Bobby Mendez, was murdered in 1995. And then again, unspeakable tragedy happened again in 2006 when you lost your second son, Alex Matthew Mendez, to um, drive-by shooting. Can you talk about how you have found the strength to be the vocal advocate for peace? When uh, I went to court, uh, when they gave um, the person, one of my son, uh, eight years, 
for murder my son, and he was lost for 11 years. And he, after he murdered my son, he escalated. It escalated so much violence in the Cape Verdean community. They mm -hmm. only gave him, Sida only gave them him eight years. And I say, okay. I, I took a stand and I say, okay. When they say eight years, I took a stand. I say, I forgave you and I pray for you that everything is gonna be okay for you. So Devon and Azora, you've been doing such incredible work with both of your organizations. What do you need right now moving forward to advance the work that you're doing? Most importantly right now is space. We need space available to us that young women and men can come into and speak about their issues, speak about the anger, speak about the things that are going on that you're not comfortable speaking about. And we have to create that comfortable space for these young people to share that. That is most important right now, right now for our organizations to thrive. Thrive, not survive, thrive. Mm. These kids must have a safe space. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. And for people who are looking to support, learn more, um, make this physical space possible, how can they do so? So they can, I do all of my work on my Facebook page, Devon McNeil, and they can you know, message me there. They can reach out to my website, which is not on my watch, mentorman.com. Um, my email is McNeil at yahoo.com. Anyway, I mean, it's, it's so important because I've reached out to so many organizations, so many people in the community, and people have stepped up. They have, in a certain degree, but a lot of it's emails. Send me an email. Mm -hmm. Young people are dying in the street. I can't send an email. I have work to do. I have work to do. And I need space to do this work. It's a real thing. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Devon and Azura, once again, thank you so much for being here today. And I'm wishing you the both the, the best as you, you change the streets of Boston. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. you so much. Peace, peace, peace. Good afternoon, everybody. Like I told y'all, I had a surprise for you guys. I'm sitting here with the mother of forgiveness, Mrs. Zora Mendez. We just came from a beautiful interview about our life. The work is just now beginning. My adopted mother came behind the prison wall 14 years ago and hugged me and told me I was forgiven. Here we are today, sitting in her car, about to do this serious mentor work. See, we're coming together, the Bobby Mendez peace legacy with Not On My Watch mentoring are bringing our organizations together as one unit. We're gonna teach seven principles of life to the youth, to the world. We support the work that Azora and Devon will be doing together. Finally tonight, we bring you part two of BNN News interview with Stacy Borden, founder and executive director of New Beginnings Reentry Services, Inc., NBRS. Since 1982, for almost 30 years, Borden had been in and out of prison. 
From her personal experiences and understanding of the system, Stacy became an abolitionist and advocate for women suffering from domestic and sexual violence. Stacy created her organization in response to the lack of resources for women suffering from past traumas and injustices within prison. In this election, we discuss NBRS's community resource fair and Stacy's thoughts on approaching recidivism. Most recently, you had the community resource fair yeah. that happened on the 14th in Grove Hall. Yeah. Uh, and I, what was it like to see that event come to fruition and the organizations that came together to provide support? Yeah, you know, I have to give a big shout out to Sharon Hinton and her team, Christina, our assistant, Shanita Jefferson, um, Brother Sumter, and um, Troy Anthony. Also, our brother Tony Irvin, who was a photographer, all of them came together to really see the vision. Mm -hmm. I just have to say, one day I woke up and I was in Cambridge one day and I seen this all white tenor fair that we often see every summer. And then when next week, one day I went over to Brookline and I seen the same thing, all white tenor fair. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, what is this about? How come we never see this in our community? And so I just had a vision to say, hmm, maybe this is a great opportunity to bring this to our community. All white tent affair. Maybe we should bring some of the resources that we have in our community so our formerly incarcerated individuals can see, yeah. visually see the resources we have in the community. But what was the measures of outcome of that? We wanted to really see what we don't have in the community. And what we don't have in the community is mental health services. Every other community thrives from mental health services. The whole point of not just bringing our, our resources and vendors together in one place to really start kind of connecting and making sure that we stay connected to help our formerly incarcerated people when they come home, but really to say to the state representatives and the elected officials that are supposed to represent our community to ask them to start focusing on some more mental health services. Our people need it. It's a good diversion and preventive measures to stop us from going into prison in the first place. Mm -hmm. Why don't we have a 24-hour community center on every other corner this distress? We know the high population of incarceration is anywhere from Nubian Square to Franklin Field as one of our leaders, Andrea James of the National Council and Families for Justice and Healing, always says, our community is in distress. We're the ones who often are in prison more than any other culture or community. Yes. And so we need it. We need a drop-in center that has the uh, skill sets or the um, professionalism of mental health counseling where we can walk in and someone can de-escalate. Someone can walk in and say, I'm in distress. That can prevent harm before it happens. Why don't we have something like that in our community? So that was really a cry for help, that resource center. That's the resource that we don't have. And we're asking for that support from our representatives. 
Thank you for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, formerly RCN Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon.